In years past, uh, we have done the silent auction as a way to put money in our future facility funds because we're not really sure what God's going to do. We know that we're growing and we're starting to kind of bump up against the walls here. We don't really know what that looks like. We don't have a plan. Um, if you haven't noticed, uh, lots on Main Street aren't being given away every day. Uh, if anything, as more hotels come in, the price around here of any kind of square footage just goes up and up and up. So we have no idea what God's going to do in the future for his facility. Uh, we do know that we have grown and grown between our youth group and our Sunday schools and our small groups and bringing on more staff members. We have grown. And so this year, as the board of directors, we have said we would like the auction to go to our overall operational budget. And so that's what we're doing with a silent auction this year. And uh, what we're going to do is anything that is not needed in our budget will then go into that capital uh, campaign program, uh, program. So we are super, super fortunate, super blessed. Uh, it's a night that does between like 15 and 17,000 raids, which is really, really cool. But it is a lot of work, and we need uh, your help. Okay, I'm really actually excited about this. So I have studied about Bethlehem all week long. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie, right? And it's like, we all know Bethlehem, but we all know Bethlehem, and we only know about as much about Bethlehem, right? Bethlehem, so I went into some research. Bethlehem is extremely interesting, and it's extremely important, and it is all through Scripture. What is beautiful about the Bible, right? And it was hard for me to understand this, because I grew up in a pretty conservative home where Scripture memory was literally beat into my head, okay? When I was an eight-year-old boy, I despised Christian music. I didn't like it when I was 12. I didn't like it when I was... 13, I just didn't like Christian music, and that's all we could listen to in the car. That's all we were allowed to listen to. However, I had to memorize 40 verses a year. <coughs> if I could rattle off 10 memory verses in random, whatever reference my mom gave me, or sometimes she'd give me a question, like what verse would go with, I don't know, she'd give me a question, like what verse would go with the word propitiation. Oh, yeah. Throw that out there for an 11-year-old. That was a good Baptist, so I knew I had the King James Version down. Um, and so if I did 10 memory verses, then we could listen to the oldie station. And that's what my parents would let me listen to, you know. I was like, oh, thank the Lord, John Fogarty. Oh, can't handle Steve Green anymore. All right? Steve Green is a Christian artist for all you conservative people out there. <coughs> Sorry, I've got... The remainings of a column. I think it, we were talking about it in my office the other day. I don't know if it's true or not, but I did stand in a river with my feet in the river on Tuesday night and had a cold on Wednesday morning. So I don't know if it's an old wives tale or if that's true, but it was a miracle. It was crazy. I'm driving home from Sugarloaf. We're on the S-turn, which is a really nasty spot. It is kind of this gross, pukey rain slash sleet. It's accumulated on the road. I'm going really, really gentle. And I see a light down in the woods. And I go, man, that's a weird place for a house. And as I go by it, I see in my side rear mirror, there's the glow of a taillight. And I'm like, that's not a house. That's a car. And so we flipped a Yui and came back. And as our headlights hit the corner, and I'm like, 
And that car is in the river upside down. Oh my word. And so it's like, it scared me because Heidi jumped out of the car before we even, I was, I was even in park. Heidi, boom, bails out of the car, goes down the embankment, starts yelling at the car. I'm like now trying to find, like we're not in traffic still. If someone would come around the corner, slam it in park, running down the river. Hello, hello, anyone in there? Are you okay? Anyone in there? You know, and I see a little like, like light, like a flashlight in like the windshield, coming out of the windshield. And um, I can't get over there. It's in the river. But I can tell that it's not in a lot of river. It's only like in probably like, you know, eight inches of water. So I actually jump on the undercarriage of the car. And now I'm like standing on like the drive shaft. And I'm looking down through the driver's side window to try to look in. And it's an older gentleman. And he's sitting uh, on the roof kind of passenger window with his feet in the water through the next window behind him that's blown out. And he's just sitting there. I'm like, can you reach your hand up to me? Like, I'll pull you through the... He's like, I, I can't. He's like, I've got muscular atrophy. I, I can't move. I'm just here. I'm like, but are you okay? He's like, I'm okay. And this is what's crazy. So Heidi and I were the first ones on the scene. You know who the second ones on the scene was? The Sugarloaf, the Sugarloaf Chaplain, Earl. So now you got a Sugarloaf Chaplain and a Loon Chaplain's like, dude, we're going to pray for you, bro. You know? We got this. And uh, so Earl's up on the bank, and, I, and, and all of a sudden Earl's like, Marcus, Marcus, is that you? You okay? And I'm like, yeah, no, we're helping this guy. He's down in there. And he's like, okay, what's his name? And I was like, well, call 911. And so he's calling 911. He tells me his name's Al. And I yell to Earl, this is Al. And Al's like, is it Al Kenny? And I'm like, are you Al Kenny? He goes, yeah. He goes, all right, tell Al I'm going to call Diane. I'm sending Pam, which is Earl's wife. I'm sending Pam over to Diane's house. She'll be there just in a minute. I'm calling your, your son. The, the, the police are on their way. So like, like, you know, Earl already knows who this is. And I'm not kidding you. We're trying to figure this out. I'm now, Heidi's found a way of rock hopping to the back of the van. So she's like, hey, Marcus, over here, you can get to the back of the van. So I come to the back of the van, rip the back windows off, but I'm pretty large and the back windows were like only this big. But I could see him now between like, he had his snow tires or maybe his summer tires, I don't know. They're all in through there. I'm looking and I can see him and not kidding you, he goes, Marcus Corey? <laughs> and I go, yeah. I go, who is that? He goes, you don't know me. I follow Loon Mountain Ministry on Facebook and pray for you guys. <laughs> Not even kidding you. I'm like, wow, that's awesome, man. Like, holy cow, you know, like, this is crazy. So I'm like, hold on, I'm trying to like get the door. So I'm trying to get the door, but it's crumpled. We're trying to bend it and then Heidi's like, I'm going to get in there. So Heidi's like, go in the car. I'm like, no, I don't really want you in that car. I have no idea if it's going to roll more. I don't know what's going on. And so um, now the kids are coming down the bank because we left up there. And they're like, are there any kids? Are there any kids? And like, I'm like, stay away from the river. And they're like, we want the kids. We'll take them into our van. I'm like, there are no kids. Go back to the van. You know, they're like, but we want to help. And she goes, you can't make me go back in the van. I'm helping. I'm like, no, just go back in the van. And uh, it was quite, it was quite comical. But it was, it was pretty incredible because we were sitting there and I couldn't get to him. But when the police officer got there, him and I together could break the door in the back. But it was, you know, when I was sitting there, I'm like, at one point in time, I hadn't talked to him for a little while. I was like talking to people up there as the ambulance and fire came. And I went back. I was like, Al, how we doing? He's like, um, not very good. And all of a sudden, I just like I lean down, put my head in the van, and I'm like, Al, you're in an upside down van, in a river, in Maine, in December, and we're talking. We're just having a conversation. 
you're doing pretty good. Like, really good. Like, ten feet that way, we're not having this conversation. And ten feet this way, we're not having that conversation. That way, it's like five feet deep. And this way, there's just giant boulders. So, you're doing pretty good. He's like, yeah, I guess I'm doing pretty good. You know? And so once the police officer there, we broke the door and literally started throwing out tires. We just, like, kept throwing out tires until we finally got to him and, uh, and, and pulled him out. So... Um, all that to say, I did have a cold this week. Uh, but how cool is God, right? How cool is God? It's like crazy. And he's like, I pray for you guys. I follow your ministry on Facebook. I'm like, man, the world is small. Um, I'm supposed to be preaching a sermon, right, Ian? What was I preaching on again? Old little town of Bethlehem. Thank you. Um, I had to share that story. You cannot not share that story, right? That, I felt like we were in a movie. That was just crazy. Um, so, Bethlehem. Bethlehem. We lit the candle of Bethlehem this morning. Bethlehem in Hebrew actually means house of bread. That's what it translates. And we know Bethlehem because why? What happened in Bethlehem? Jesus was born. And what does the Bible say Jesus is? The bread of life. Pretty cool, huh? Bethlehem is the house of bread and the bread of life was born in Jerusalem. I mean, in Bethlehem. Sorry, Bethlehem. Now, this is the cool thing about Bethlehem. Bethlehem is five miles south of Jerusalem. Bethlehem is a little town compared to Jerusalem. And Bethlehem is very important because it's super fertile. Okay? And why it's called the house of uh, bread is because they grow tons of corn there. And bread over there is made out of corn. I love cornbread. I hope I get to go sometime. Um... And so that's why it's called the house of bread, because of all of the corn that is grown there. But also figs are grown there, and olives are grown there. Now, Bethlehem is mentioned all throughout the Bible. And this is why I think, I think earlier I was getting on this vein before I got off on the river thing. Um, the Bible is a story. That's where I got all of this, right? When I grew up, I love my parents and I love what they did, but a lot of times I missed the story of the Bible because it was very discipline-oriented to me. You had had to memorize the scripture. You had to do what it said. There's a list of do's and don'ts. And I missed the story. You don't fall in love with do's and don'ts. You don't fall in love with the you have to memorize scripture. Now, I would never take my childhood back because you know what? When I'm depressed, I have all of the weapons. I know God's word by heart. When I am scared, when I am sad, when I am angry, when I have all these doubts and questions, guess what's in my heart? Scripture. It's beautiful. You can't replace that. It's incredible. What, you know what's amazing? is having somebody in my office and they say something and I'm like, oh, you know, that's in God's word. Now, I don't know a lot of times the address. That's hard to remember, the address. But guess what we have now? Google. All I got to do is remember four or five words from that thing. I'm like, oh, there's a verse that talks about that. And it says something like this. And I just Google it. And there it is. And then I can share it with them. You know, so you can't take that away. So I, I love my parents. I love it. But I miss the story. And you know where I fell in love with the story? I fell in love with the story in college. Because in college, we were forced to read the Bible from front to back. And after a while, I just had to, like, give in and just do it, you know. I used to actually listen to the Old Testament on CD just so I wouldn't lie. When I checked off, I did read 
Leviticus 10 through 20 last night. You know, I literally would lay in bed with like the Old Testament on on CD going. But I fell in love with the story. And you know what the story is? The story is that there is a God who is not, who is not singular. There is a God who is relational. And in Genesis 1, he said, let us make mankind, humankind, in our image. It's a relational piece. See, God creator, up until that point, was creating on his own. And he was saying, let there, let there be light. Let there be water. Let there be day. Let there be night. Let there be trees. Let there be mountains. Let there be beasts and animals that fly. What did he say when he came to you and me? He didn't say, let there be a man. Let there be a woman. He said what? He changed up his language. He said, let us. And all of a sudden, he included God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That, to me, is incredible. When he made you, and he made me. And so there's this story And we all know that we're not perfect. Neither was Adam and Eve. And we know, I find, that I'm like, why don't you just create us perfect? It would have just been easier. Without all this whole fall and everything. Now, I don't know. If there was no fall, would there be no snow? I don't know. That's a tough choice. I don't know. I don't know whether to kick even the shin or to thank you for the snow. I'm not sure. We'll, We'll figure that out when I get up there. But... We're not perfect. And so we separated ourselves from God because he is perfect. And we chose our own way and sin entered the world. It says, by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. And death spread upon all men. That's a spiritual death. And also a physical death. But the spiritual death is more important. But God in his great mercy says, okay, I love you. We're going to start again. And in comes Noah. He found him faithful. He said, let's start again. Wiped out the earth with a flood. Let's start again. Again, humankind was humankind. And what I said earlier, he didn't create us perfect. We're not robots. Would you like robots for children? Would I like, some of us would like robots at time for children, yes. But would I like it if Jesse was just like, Father, I love you. You are my favorite person. I am so in love with you. No, like I wouldn't feel love from him at all. To feel love from him, I also have to feel rejection. I also have to feel hurt. I also have to feel that really frustration when he does things that he shouldn't do. Like, hit really nice guests, missionaries from around the world, in the face with a snowball. It's like, really, bro? These people have come around the world to see us, and they're so excited for the snow, and the first thing you do is hit them in the face with a snowball? Great, pal. Way to go. You know? And so sometimes I wish that he would be a robot, you know? But, but there's other part of me is like, nice shot. <laughs> he is my son. <laughs> Just don't hit a girl next time. There's a dude standing over there. Get him! No. So, God didn't create robots. He created us like himself. With a mind to know God. With a heart to love him. And a will to choose him. But he also created us with a mind to not know him. With a heart not to love him. And a will to choose something else. 
besides him. And how does this all have to do with Bethlehem? Because just like God told Noah to build the ark, the ark saved Noah's family, saved humankind, and it saved the animals. Peter tells us that Jesus is our ark. He's our boat. He's our savior. And that he was born in Bethlehem. Now Bethlehem is an old town. And it's long before Jesus was born there that things started happening in Bethlehem. Okay? For instance, when Moses came out of Egypt, so the Israelites, right, Abraham, was chosen by God, birthed a nation, guy named, you know, Jacob. And actually Jacob, Jacob, Jacob's wife Rachel, who he loved. Remember, he was tricked into Leah, but he loved Rachel. And he worked for 14 years on Laman's farm for Rachel. Right? I've got a friend who's working for this father-in-law, right? And he's like, oh, I just don't know if I want to work for my father-in-law anymore. I'm like, dude, you already got his daughter. Just go now. <laughs> you know? And so, and so Rachel meant a lot to him. But she died. And he buried her. And he buried her next to Bethlehem. It was called that then. But then, but it was still fertile. It was still beautiful. He loved it. He also made a well there. Very famous well. So then the Israelites get captive. Right? They go down. Well, they don't get captive. They go for a famine down to Egypt and they never come back. And they get made into slaves. Remember that whole thing? Joseph, they're down there. Then this guy named Moses that's bad of speech. You know, not okay with himself, but he grew up in the, in, in the palace. Comes back, saves his people, brings them into the promised land. But remember, they sat out there and just walked around in the wilderness. I had a speaker one time say, take another lap. When you and I don't want to do things God's way, do you know what he tells you to do? Take another lap. Remember that PE teacher when your PE class wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing? Or remember that coach when your soccer team or your football team wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing? Well, what did your coach say? Take another lap. Meaning run around the edge of the field or run around the edge of the court. And that's what was happening to the people of, of, of Israel. They, they, weren't, they weren't listening to God. They weren't following his voice. They weren't doing what he says. And God kept saying, Take another lap. But then there was this man named Joshua. And Joshua had two spies. And one of them named Caleb. And Caleb's wife was named Ephrata. And Ephrata is the original name of Bethlehem. Because Caleb got to go in and look first in the promised land. And when he came in to spy on the promised land, what did he see? He saw Bethlehem. And he saw Bethlehem being a wicked, fertile place. We're growing all these honking grapes and all these cool things. And he's like, oh, I got to see it first. I'm headed right over there. And so he brought his wife, Ephrata, and in they went, and they settled there in Bethlehem. Now, the Israelites had a custom. The custom was called the Passover. The Passover came when they were in Egypt. In Egypt, we know the plagues, and the last plague was that the angel passed over the city, and the firstborn of all the Egyptian homes died. But if you were to take the blood of a lamb... And paint your doorpost. The angel would pass over your home and your firstborn boy would not die. And from there, they began to sacrifice lambs. To, to, to put our sins. They, they would call it the scapegoat. That's where the name scapegoat comes from. You would put your hand on the head of this thing and confess your sin. 
symbolically transferring your sin to this animal. You would bring that animal to the priest. The priest would sacrifice it. I understand. This is just totally, in our culture, doesn't make any sense. Praise the Lord, we have Jesus. He took the sin and shame. <coughs> Here's the thing. The lamb that were used for sacrifices had to be spotless. They, had, they could not have any scarring on them because they hit their, their legs on a post or a rock. They couldn't have a fight with another with another a sheep and get bit. They can't have like a uh, any kind of their coat, their their wool couldn't be like out of order. It had to be a perfect little lamb. Do you know where the perfect little lambs were raised for the sacrifices in Jerusalem? Beautiful, beautiful little town called Bethlehem. Do you understand that the shepherds that hurt the angels on the hillside that night were not normal shepherds? Normal shepherds are not on the hillside at night watching their flock. Meat sheep are kept in a pen. Right? Have you ever seen, we drove through Nebraska on our way to Colorado. And we saw probably 500 head of cattle in a pen the size of this building. And you've all seen it on those, on those videos, right, of what, of what we're eating when we go to Mickey D's. I still go. I know I shouldn't. <laughs> Chicken nuggets are so good. Oh, man. A little bit of ranch, a little bit of barbecue. I know. We're not, well, anyway. You've seen that, right? Meat sheep back then were treated similar. They're not going to waste all that time of a shepherd watching over their flock by night. You know, They're going to bring them into a pen where they're safe from the wolves and things that are out there in a pen and just shove them in. But why couldn't they do that with the perfect lambs? Because what happens when you're in a pen? You step on another lamb. You hurt another lamb. You get all that crud in your wool. right? So these were Levitical shepherds out on the hill. They were raising Passover lambs. They were raising the sacrificial lambs. You ready for this? This is mind-blowing. And so when the angel said, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That's a foreign concept. If you lined up all the babies in the world, you could still identify Jesus. Why? Because who puts their baby in a manger, in a feeding trough of an animal, of livestock? Donkey, pig, chicken, right? When Jesse was born, we didn't take him to the chicken coop and be like, there you go, pal. You're under the heat lamp. Good luck. We're going inside. Though I would have really liked to do that. We didn't do that. But guess what? Who were the angels talking to when they said, you will find a babe wrapped in swatting clothes, lying in the manger? What happens when a perfect lamb is born in the Levitical shepherd? They're born in the manger. What do they do to a perfect lamb so it does not hurt itself after it's born? They wrap it in swaddling clothes and lie it in a manger. Your head should just be exploding right now. A sacrificial lamb is born in a barn in Bethlehem and wrapped in swaddling clothes and put in a manger. The shepherds were not hearing something foreign. The part that was foreign was, wait, 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 but it's a king? Like a human king? Not a lamb? And the angels, if they could, would have been like, well, it is a king and a lamb at the same time. He's going to die for the sins of the world. But they couldn't really, they couldn't, you know, they just said, go, go, right? And here's poor Mary. This will also blow your mind. In the book of Micah, so we're talking about how Bethlehem shows up in Scripture. In Genesis, it shows up as what? Ephrathah. Doesn't become Bethlehem till later, because back then that was Arabic. 
Then it got turned into Hebrew later. Bethlehem is the Hebrew. Okay? Then you start hearing Bethlehem, what I think is pretty cool. This is also just like the Passover lambs are born in Bethlehem and the Passover lambs are raised in Bethlehem. So is our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, our lamb, took away the sins of the world. Get this. The most famous kings of Israel were born in Bethlehem. First king, Saul. Saul. Saul was born in Bethlehem. Most famous king, David. He was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem also is known as the house of David. And the book of Micah in the Old Testament, it says that the Messiah, the Mashiach, will come from little Bethlehem. So what other king was born in Bethlehem? The greatest king of all. The king of all the world. The king of you, the king of me, the king of people in Fiji, the king of people in the Philippines, king of people in Australia, king of people in China, king of people in Maine even. Yes, Maine. Western Maine, baby. That's a foreign country. Um, he's the king of the world. And he was born in Bethlehem. That to me is crazy. It's a place of kings were born. Well, here's what's also crazy. Just like I told you, the Israelites came north, and Caleb and his wife Ephetah settled in Bethlehem. What happened? David was born there. Saul was born there. But what happened? The Israelites were taken into captivity to Babylon, to Persia. Gone. See ya. For how many years? 400. Fast forward in the lineage of the house of David. Fast forward in the lineage of the house of Judah. And Joseph is David's great, 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 cousin, twice removed, whatever. And so when they came back, right, when they came back from being captive for 400 years, Joseph's family did not go back to Bethlehem. They went to Nazareth, which is quite a bit further north and on the sea. This is how crazy God is. But what does the book of Micah say? The book of Micah says that the Messiah, the Mashiach, is going to be born in Bethlehem. Not Nazareth, but Bethlehem. This is crazy. So what does God do? <laughs> he reaches his finger down into our political system. Yes, the political system. I'm going there. And he stirs the pot. And he stirs the heart of a king. And we all know the famous words. And in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. I can't even say it without tearing up. I'm the same way. I hear my grandfather every time when I read Luke chapter 2. I love my grandfather. And he would sit on the piano bench and he would read Luke chapter 2. And that meant the world to me. That all the world should be back. You think that was good news for Mary and Joseph? No. They were teenagers who were pregnant and were trying to hide it from society because they weren't married. Do you think she really wants to ride a donkey a couple days to Bethlehem? I remember when my wife wanted to have our kids and they were past due and she would make me take her on bumpy roads out in the back of Maine and be like, I want to have this kid and we'd be going down a bumpy road. I can only imagine what it was like to be pregnant and riding a donkey. That can not be comfortable. And so they had to go. It wasn't good news for them. And I can only see Mary. One, Mary's been visited by this angel, and she's like, how is this going to work? 
I know I've made the right choice and I have not slept with Joseph, although he is attractive. And there's been a few times where I came pretty darn close, but I've held him off. I've held my ground. How's this going to work? How am I pregnant? I know how this works. I, I have not slept with Joseph. But yet I'm pregnant and everyone, no one's going to believe me. Now I'm supposed to make a home for God's son? <laughs> I can only imagine her tears as she went into labor in that barn. Because she thought, well, maybe at least I'll get to Bethlehem and we'll find a suitable place. Maybe I'll get to Bethlehem and we'll find a good place, someone that will listen to our story and will put us up in a nice home. And uh, the king of the world can't be born in a barn. The son of God. I can only see her tears now. She's going into labor. We don't, we don't think about those things. I mean, I know Mary is chosen among women, and I know she's incredible. She's still a human, folks. And I'm married to a woman, and I know how hard she works to make our house certain for guests to come over. Imagine being the your guest is going to be the son of God, and you're like, I'm having him in a barn. I'm sure she just started to bawl, and Joseph was like, what am I doing? I didn't even sleep with this girl yet. <laughs> I could see him walking out and being like, God, is this real? Like, is, she, is this whole thing just a story and she's just trying to make it up so that way she doesn't think I, she, I, she cheated on me? You know, like, I can only imagine being poor Joseph and he's not even in his hometown and there's no room for them at the inn. And I can only imagine Mary going, oh my goodness. And I can see her going, okay, grab these things, wrap this baby up. I do not want him just laying on hay, Joseph. Right? But these things were rags that sheep have been in. It wasn't like they were fresh swaddling clothes. They don't have a laundry detergent. Or they don't have a laundry you know, company that comes, hey, I'll come get your swaddling clothes. I'll bring the clean ones back next week. No. They were lambs that had been born, bloody lambs that had been born and wrapped in that same cloth. And then that cloth was unwrapped and they grew up and then just hung there. This was not a sterile event. There was bacteria everywhere, which I think would actually do us today a little bit of good. Stop doing antibacteria everywhere, please. And so he was wrapped in swallowing clothes. Now, poor Mary, she's probably still doubting. What does God send to encourage her? Shepherds. Shepherds? When have shepherds ever showed up at the OR? Not the OR, the OB floor, you know, obstetrics floor. To be like, hey, I heard there's no baby. We came in with balloons and flowers. Who's the new mom? <laughs> no, she doesn't know these people. So you know she must have been like, whoa. You know she's like, thanks, Lord, I needed that. I needed to be reminded that I am doing the right thing. I needed to be reminded that I'm in your will. And these shepherds show up ecstatic. Then, just about the time she was forgetting about the shepherds and being like, what are we doing? We are still in Bethlehem. Because it's historically probably about two years before the wise men show up. Right? She's probably like, what are we doing, Joseph? Can we go back yet? But the census was taking long. And they're trying to figure out how to do the whole tax thing. And then up show some extremely wealthy, very influential, wise people from the east. They were on camels. That's like showing up today in a Maserati. No, I'm serious. People don't. You didn't just have camels back then. Unless you were filthy rich. Newsflash, if you just totally made the whole thing today, none of you are driving camels. Not one person in this audience. Now, there's a few camels that roll through town once in a while. <laughs> but they ain't driven by you, Nathaniel, right? I like that Volkswagen Jetta. Yeah. 
<laughs> that was maybe equivalent to like an Old Testament go. Um, <laughs> I have one too. And so these people were like legit. And I know we sing about the three kings of Oriandar, but there was more than three. They were traveling in a pack, a posse. And so Mary was just like, oh my word. And they dropped off things that weren't like, oh, hey, here is some, 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 some homemade treats I made you. They didn't drop off cookies. They dropped off gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I was watching this thing the other day where some guy was out on the street. And he was like, what's the most valuable gift that the wise men gave Jesus? And they're like, right? Did you see that? Will Ferrell. It was Will Ferrell. Right? And the lady's like, gold? And the guy's like, no, no, myrrh! It's myrrh! Myrrh! Like yelling at this lady, and she's like, I don't even think Will Ferrell, that guy, even know what myrrh is. I think they just think it's hilarious to yell myrrh in the streets. But anyway, um, they didn't just drop off cookies. They dropped off stuff I know that made Harry go, Mary go... I just called Mary Harry. That's awful. <laughs> Don't repeat that. That made Mary go, okay. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh didn't show up even at her cousin's birth, John the Baptist. They didn't show up at any of her friends' birth they had up in Nazareth. This is different. This is new. Remember that piece of scripture that says, and Mary pondered all these things in her heart. It was God showing her signs, saying, Hey, don't, don't, don't doubt. This is real. I know it's really freaky and scary. Don't doubt. And then the angel came and sent them to Egypt. Not to Nazareth, even further away. They went away further because Herod was coming to take away all the baby boys. We're pretty glad that the Savior was born. The moms of Bethlehem were not glad that the Savior was born. The moms of Bethlehem, when Jesus was born, lost their baby boys. Herod came and took all of them. Or under the age of two. Comes with a cost. Comes with a price. Bethlehem is historical. Bethlehem is biblical. Bethlehem is Levitic, which is the law of the Jewish people. Bethlehem is Davidic, which is David's line. And Bethlehem is Messianic, which means the Messiah came through Bethlehem. You want to know something cool? That same king that ordered those little baby boys to be murdered had a giant castle, a giant palace that sits on a hill that overlooks Bethlehem. When the sun is just right, it actually shadows the town of Bethlehem. Guess what? The palace, the one the best in the world back then, what is it now? Stones, rubble, dust. Herod's kingdom came to an end. How about Jesus' kingdom? Come to the end 2017? No. We're in his palace right now. You are the temple. You've been bought with a price. What? No, you're not. That your body's a temple? You've been bought with a price? Now glorify God in your body. Jesus' kingdom will not end. His reign will not come to an end. And Herod is done. That old boy's done long ago. And so Bethlehem has so much to teach us. So much more than just the birth of a baby. A baby that saved the world, which is all beautiful, which is incredible. But Bethlehem has so much history, 
right? Bethlehem has so much history. Bethlehem has so much to offer. So I would encourage you, when you read through the New Testament or you read through the Old Testament, be looking for Bethlehem. Be looking for Ephrata. Be looking for the house of bread. Highlight it. Say thank you, Jesus. But also say thank you to the moms that had baby boys in Bethlehem. I hope that when you get to heaven, you can run up to one of those moms as a mother. Give them a huge hug. Because you know that God had some explaining to them to do when they got to heaven. Not an easy time. Bethlehem's incredible. Thanks for letting me rant on Bethlehem for the last 25 minutes and sitting there. I have had so much fun researching Bethlehem. And you know what I didn't even get into? Shoot, I didn't even talk about this. Do you know who's from Bethlehem? Boaz. And you know who Boaz is? He's the kinsman redeemer. So not only did a lamb come from Bethlehem, a lamb that saved the world, and not only did a king come from Bethlehem, a king that ruled the world, but a redeemer came from Bethlehem. And Boaz was a redeemer. Remember the story of Ruth and Naomi? And Ruth slept at the feet of Boaz? If you don't know that story, you've got to go back. I can't get into that. If I get into that, I'm going to be another half an hour. But Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. And Jesus is our redeemer. And they're both from Bethlehem. That to me is really, really cool. Sorry, I'm going to get going again. I should pray before going anywhere else. Jesus, we thank you so much for this. this just, just, just this wealth of truth and this wealth of story. Lord, I love story. And you have just interwoven your thread throughout the entire Bible, throughout the entire history of mankind, your love, your plan, your purpose, your story, your story to save the world. Lord, thanks for letting us be a part of it. We are sorry for when we miss your story because we're just too distracted by a shinier story or a newer story or a more attractive story. Would you give us the wisdom by the power of your Holy Spirit to look away from stories that aren't about saving the world? that aren't about redeeming lost people. And let us focus, Lord, on your story. Story that has not ended, that's still being interwoven. Lord, we are still Bethlehem today. The birth of the Savior is coming to the hearts of those that believe in him here in Lincoln. And Lord, by the power of your spirit, we are, we are pouring out fruit of Joy and peace and love and patience and gentleness and kindness and goodness and long-suffering. But it's hard, Lord, when we share space. It's hard, Lord, when we don't feel like we have enough finances. It's difficult, Lord, when our health fails us. It's hard, Lord, when our in-laws show up for Christmas. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, help us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Let's see, let's see, we have one more song.